If you are not getting educated about market conditions, whether you're a mortgage broker, you're in title, an attorney, an accountant, or obviously a real estate agent, you're doing yourself and the consumers in your marketplace a disservice. This is the Knowledge Brokers Podcast, and I'm here with the man himself, Byron Lazine. And Byron, I don't think there's any other topic to open with this week than inventory levels in the housing market. This has been a constant story and a pain point for consumers and professionals. I know you've got some data, so share with us what you're seeing and then we can dig in. Well, before I do that, Tom, you, you never mention who you are. You always say my name, but you don't say, and I'm Tom Tool. It's not about me, it's Just about the people. It, well, there you go, you are a man of the people. Yeah. you know. Inventory is by far the biggest issue, and I'm seeing a whole bunch of reports this week, in the last couple of weeks in particular, about inventory. And most of those reports are pointing towards inventory being up because they're referencing year-over-year -year numbers. And I really don't want people to look at year-over-year -year numbers because they're not a good indicator of where we're sitting for inventory in almost every single market in America. Sure, if you look at quarter one, of 2022, which was the all-time low for inventory. It was extremely abnormal. Logan Motoshami from Housing Wire called that first quarter of 2022 a savagely unhealthy real estate yes. market because of those inventory levels. And so if you point towards that as a year-over-year -year look, you're going to be misleading people, okay? So we really want to look at pre-pandemic levels in almost every single market. All right. So uh, Lance Lambert did a really good piece in fortune uh, just this past mm -hmm. week. And, and it shows you the difference between how much of inventories and we'll show these uh, graphs. We'll put the, uh, the graph, both graphs up because you got to see both. Okay. Uh, how much inventory levels have shifted over the last 12 months. That's that year over year look. And yes, in basically every single market, although there are a couple pockets in the Northeast Tom uh, that are actually showing a decline in inventory, um, but almost every market in America in the last 12 months has seen a rise in inventory, but that's off of a bottom floor level. That's off of basically no inventory. Mm -hmm. If we look at the second graph of, of the uh, United States, how much inventory levels have shifted over the past four years, okay? Change between January 2019 and January 2023. Every single market, 99% of these markets, there are like two pockets here mm -hmm. where there's blue, which would be an increase in inventory since January 2019. Every other market has a significant decline in inventory. And this is an interactive chart. It won't be obviously interactive on the screen, Tom. So don't don't try to touch the screen if you're watching on YouTube with your finger. <laughs> Hit the thumbs up if you think if you think that's what Tom would do. Man, I hope be... there's no thumbs up for that one <laughs> hit, hit the thumbs up anyways uh it'll help us get get to more people but anyway if, if like if i let's just pick some markets if i go hartford connecticut negative 78 percent if i go and this is since 2019 if i go miami negative 50 percent inventory so half the inventory we had in 2019 tom what do you want you want philadelphia negative sure. 52.35 percent the philadelphia Brutal. camden Wilmington, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, yep. Maryland area, because they're doing a bigger uh, area on this particular chart. Do you want to go 
you want to go Atlanta? Yeah, let's go Atlanta. And Negative. then let's check Florida and California after that. Negative 40% Ooh. in Atlanta. Uh, you want to go to – so Florida, we gave Miami was negative 50%. Let's go to the other coast. We'll go to Naples, negative 60% inventory. Uh, we'll do Palm Bay area is negative 35%. Port St. Lucie, negative 35%. Let's go over to California. You know, California, there's an, uh, an affordability research that just yes. went out. California is in the top five of major metro areas across the country for unaffordable homes, for small markets unaffordable. So you would think that as we've seen the last, you know, since 2019, this trend of migration moving out, you know, would actually increase inventory, people wanting to get out of California. Nope. In the last four years, you've got negative 60% in San Luis. Let's go to, let's go to LA area. I thought it was on LA. Uh, Santa Barbara, negative 70% inventory in the last four years. Uh, all of California is in the red. San Diego, negative 60%. The red would be a drop in uh, in inventory, negative 53% in the Thousand Oaks, Ventura area. Los Angeles, negative 37% with all the issues going on in, in Los Angeles and unaffordability. There's still no inventory, Tom, in comparison to pre-pandemic levels, okay? Uh, if we go to uh, Northern California, the same story. You're in the negative 40, negative 30% in most of those markets. Uh, let's go, where, where do you want to go next? We can just keep doing this. Houston is negative 28%. Uh, we, we can go up to Minnesota. You're at negative 70%, all right? It's, it's red across the country. You get the point here. And, and, and let's go to the top 400 metro areas only 15 of them only 15 of the top 400 housing markets are actually above pre-pandemic levels in inventory so 385 housing markets remain below pre-pandemic inventory levels that paints a picture right there of why we're in such a i got it interest rates we've talked a lot about that in the past shows but that paints a really vivid picture on basic economics of why homes are unaffordable, of why buyers are so frustrated with the process of competing an, against multiple offers still today in 2023. And I don't see, Tom, any end to this anytime soon. Because when you dig into those 385 markets that still remain below pre-pandemic inventory levels, what's the actual inventory that's on the market? It's not all good. Mm -hmm. It's not all ready to move in. It's not all affordable. That's for sure. This is just total inventory. When we go to the median price points, there's not a lot there. There's not a lot of pickings. And so is it, you know, the end of this year that you see inventory coming up? Is it in two years? Is it in five years? We were having a conversation with Lisa Chinati, yeah, this morning, uh, yep. this morning on a call. And we're like all in agreement where this is a five year at least problem. I, I mean, I, I agree with that. I, I think there's an affordability issue here, and we'll get into that in a second. Um, I wanted to highlight a couple stats that you had uh, you had talked about, that when you look at inventory in late January, there were 465,000 single-family homes on the market across the entire country, less than 500,000 single-family homes. That's overall 36% fewer than the pre-pandemic numbers, still higher than early 2022, which give some relief, but not, not what folks are looking for here. And then when you look at 
what's going on with affordability right now? Well, affordability was a record low the end of 2022 because of these inventory levels. If you look at the uh, National Association of Home Builders and the Wells Fargo, Fargo Housing Opportunity Index, this was the a record low of 2022 affordability, and they attribute it to rising rates, right? We, we, we know that rates have, and they've even gone up a little bit this week, supply chain distributions, um, elevated construction costs, lack of skilled workers, and um, all of this. I mean, there's so many things going on, and just 38.1% of new and existing homes sold were affordable to families earning the median U.S. income of $90,000. So you've got barely a third, less than 40% are considered affordable, and it's the third consecutive quarterly decline. So we talk about supply and demand all the time. The supply's not there. The demand's still high with millennial home buyers, folks that didn't purchase. And what you had mentioned this morning is that what the government's done, they've made it really easy to build multifamily home, housing in a lot of markets. I've seen it happen here where you're seeing zoning variances passed. And it's almost promoting renting, which has caused one of these issues. And the, to me, the biggest driver is you have the boomers locked in with three and 4% handles on their mortgage rates. And that's not going to change anytime soon. And, and some of the research out there, if you just look at pre-pandemic um, housing inventory levels, there's a, there's a Zillow survey of industry experts. They're talking about the end of 2024 best case. So, you know, we're that's that's basically 24 months from now. So, I mean, there, yeah, there, there's and this was back in May of last year. So I don't even I think they're even less bullish on it now than they were back in May of last year. Because uh, regulations and, you know, the administration decisions over the last few years have made it easier for people to build apartments. Also, the market, you know, dynamics obviously drove that as well, as opposed to, you know, their ability to build single family homes. And there's a lot that goes into that conversation. But because of that, multifamily construction has boomed recently and boomed last year was up an estimated 15 percent, according to an economist speaking at uh, NAHB, which was just mm -hmm. last week in Las Vegas. Uh, so 2022, Tom, multifamily construction exceeded a half a million annual pace for the first time since the Great Recession. However, NAHB is projecting that multifamily starts will fall 28 percent this year. Uh, to about 391,000 total. They expect this will stabilize in 2024 to about 374,000. There are currently 943,000 apartments under construction right now, which is up 25% to a year ago. This is the highest count of apartments under construction since 1974. Banana. So and if you talk to any commercial broker, let us know if you're on YouTube and, and you're in the comments, if you're a commercial broker, maybe you're CBRE or, or you know, somebody, somebody else, if you're seeing just price reductions on because they know that this inventory is about to hit the market, mm -hmm. right? That's what that's what you would see in residential if we had this type of, you know, built up affordable housing starts for single families, you would see price reductions happening now. Investors are like, hey, I'm getting deal after deal after deal because multifamily got a little bubblicious mm -hmm. the last couple of years. And what this is doing, Tom, because you're, what you'll see is rental prices come down this year for the first time in a long time because of all this inventory. It's going to continue to make renting a better option 
for people who should be thinking about buying their first home, who should be thinking about starting to build that generational wealth through home ownership. So this administration, the next administration, local state administrations, they really need to figure out a way to help builders build affordable housing, whether it's condos, you know, or single family starts so that people can become home owners as opposed to this renter nation theme that has been building up over time in the last couple of years has certainly exploded. I had a little freeze there. I don't know what happened. So I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Okay. Uh, I mean, there's, I, I see families renting properties. I see where, where I live right outside Philadelphia. They're taking, I mean, they're, and it's, you see people moving from the city. They want to get into the suburban school districts and they're knocking down buildings and building these luxury apartments. They're at 2000, 2500, $3,000 a month. That's a housing payment. And because there's no inventory, I mean, you know, Byron, you've got kids. Your kids don't stop getting older because there's no housing inventory. When kids turn five, school becomes a real issue and, and it's life moves on. And, and when you look at everything that's going on, but these inventory numbers are just so, so alarming because people aren't liquidating their homes. I mean, we, we were talking with Lisa this morning that there's towns where we live, right? So for example, there's a a town right next to where I live called Havertown, right? It's a, it's quite a large area. It's got a um, substantial population. Um, I mean, there there's what's the population? What's the population right approximately? Um, so the it's thirty five thousand people live in live in this town, right? It's a you know it's it's a suburb of suburb Philadelphia. of Philadelphia, um, right outside the city. There are nine single family homes available in Havertown right now for thirty five thirty five thousand people. people nine single family homes. And I mean, and, and that's, it's a very medium price point. You see a lot of people move there. They maybe move in, move out. People live there their whole lives. It's not this high end sort of premium market. It's the medium price point where a lot of folks go. They got three bedroom, single family homes, about, you know, 15, 1800 square feet. They're selling in the three, $400,000 range. And that's exactly what you're talking about with the, the most affordable stuff. School system's very solid. Um, and I mean, and the number of housing units in the zip code, there's 13,558, according to the U.S. Census, and there's nine single family homes available. Challenge. And I mean, that, and this, this what, is a case study that you could do over and over again anywhere. That, that, that place just really speaks to us. What's the, ci what's the city like, uh, Philadelphia? Is it similar or, or do you have more so inventory? There, there's in more the inventory city? in the city for sure. Um, now, obviously, the neighborhoods are pretty diverse there. If you look at the end of uh, December numbers, we saw a 4.77 month supply of homes available, um, which is much higher. Let me give you the let me give you what that translates to in terms of housing units. But the suburban counties that we work in, Chester, Montgomery, Delaware, they're at a 1.5 to 1.77 month supply. So we're seeing that folks are flooding, uh, leaving cities, which was a trend that happened during the pandemic as, and has continued. Let me give you the exact number here, Byron, because I, I want to. And Tom, that and like I said, there's only 15 housing markets that are back to pre-pandemic inventory levels, you know, so today from, you know, 2019. So I would say, you know, because Philadelphia's not on this list, it's probably likely still, you know, below 2019. Here are the 15 while you look that 3, up. 3,192 homes are active in, in Philadelphia right now, but that's a lot of condos. Sure. It's, you know, attached housing. Yeah, but based off of... Based off of what population? So the population of the city of Philadelphia. 
So we're at 3,000 you know, uh, units available. 1.576 million. Yeah. So there Same you issue. Go. I mean, that, that's – I don't know what the percentage is on that, but it's – it's not a it's not a big percentage. I'll break out my uh, my calculator here. Hang on. Break break out the calculator. I'll give you the 15 housing markets that are back to pre-pandemic inventory levels across the country. There's only 15 of 400. Yeah, it, it's I knew it was less than a percent. That's why I said I don't know. It's it's a I don't know. How long is it going to take us to do the math? Bobby did it on his calculator. Two tenths of a percent. Two tenths. Yeah, two two percent. Two tenths. There, there you go. Okay, so there's 15 housing markets that are back to pre-pandemic levels, inventory levels. It's out of 400 major metros in the country. They they are uh, Port Arthur, Texas, Boise City, Idaho. Boise, uh, Greg Schwartz, the CEO of Tomo. I'm, I'm sitting in Tomo's headquarters today. He's nice enough to let me uh, use this as I'm bouncing around Connecticut a little bit this week. He said that Boise, Idaho is the market that is falling in housing prices the most. Okay. So it makes sense that their inventory is mm -hmm. back. Um, and I, you know, everybody's talking about Austin and some of these other cities that uh, Boise, he's like, there was just no reason for people really to move to Boise. They didn't get more jobs or anything like that. People were just escaping cities. And, uh, and so now Boise is experiencing the, one of the largest drops or the largest drop in the country. Uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming, Cheyenne, Cheyenne. 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 Never heard, never heard of Cheyenne. Sorry, Cheyenne. That's the uh, least that popular state in the that. country. Wyoming, by the way. Uh, Idaho Falls, uh, Idaho, uh, Temple, Texas, Logan, Utah, Midland, Texas, Odessa, Texas. So a lot of Texas on this list. Texas obviously was one of the, you know, states that had land to build on, and made it easier on builders to build in abundance. So you're seeing that as an obvious theme. Ogden, Utah, Panama City, Florida, Pueblo, Colorado, Sherman, Texas, St. George, Utah, uh, Manchester, Tennessee, and Twin Falls, Idaho. Those are the 15 housing markets that are back to pre-pandemic. These are all levels. rural, big there's sky markets. I mean, you know, Texas, I mean, while it has some large cities, there's some parts of Texas that are pretty rural. So that's what we're seeing. And, and it's, I mean, you look at two-tenths of a percent in Philadelphia, it's bananas. And there's still plenty out of these 400, out of these 385 housing markets that are below mm -hmm. pre-pandemic inventory levels. There's still plenty of Texas on the list. I mean, it's everybody basically. It's everybody else in the country is below pre-pandemic levels. Uh, you know, and and we showed the the graph there. There's you can't really find anywhere in America that isn't below pre-pandemic levels. And there's not an indication this year, as I mean, we saw it this week. The 30-year we were doing, you know. We were happy last week as we got into a five handle. And then all this week, we're at six and a half, yep. basically, pretty close to six and a half percent on the 30 year fixed. This is going to create more of a pause for homeowners. With the conversation we were having this morning was okay, how many people are now considering staying in their home and building a second floor? Happens all the time. You know, the, absolutely. It's going to continue. Well, and, to and think about this at six percent, right? You don't have a place to move to because. In theory, there is, uh, and and I agree with this. Your your time is valuable. A lot of a lot of homeowners don't always look at that. Like going through a construction project, you know, financing it, you know, get, getting a personal loan or a construction loan is a way more affordable, given the current mortgage rates. Number one, and secondly, even if you did want to move, there's not a lot of places to go. And 
the, the folks that we see moving right now, it's, it's those super high motivators and, and that's going to continue to happen. So, you know, my, my question I want to kind of dig into a little bit here is for all the real estate agents listening. I mean, you've got to, you really got to put some, put some sweat equity into your business right now to find those people. And I would be almost solely looking for listings if I was a real estate agent right now. I mean, well, I am, but I mean, that's what we're talking at our team here. And it's, it's, it's a challenge for consumers. People are getting frustrated and I, I can really empathize with them. I mean, you know, luckily we're not in this, but I mean, imagine going through that where you want to move and you just can't find the house and there's nine homes available in your town. If you want to free up your time so you can use your knowledge on higher use activities to grow your business, then you need the support in your staff. The best way in 2023 to do that is to hire a virtual assistant. Tom and I use Virtue Desk to continue to scale up our staff so we can do higher level activities like big relationships, like big sales, or growing our teams. Use the link below for Virtue Desk with the discount code BAM23. Use the discount code below BAM23 for Virtue Desk to hire your virtual assistant today. You'll get $250 off the startup fee. Use the discount code below. What's your thoughts on all, all of the investors that have bought in homes, you know, in the last three, four years? Should there be any regulation on the ability for some of these funds to go up and buy, you know, swaths of single family homes? So they did it with a lot of condo buildings back before the last crash, right? Like and, and finance, like if you want to get FHA or conventional financing on some of these condos, they have a 50 percent investor cap in these buildings because people were buying them before they were built. Uh, you know, th th that's, that's, that's a good question because it's common. Yeah. It's common in HOA because they restrict yeah. the way you can, you know, rent the property and, but, you know, just going and buying in rural markets, these single family homes where to your point, that market 35,000 residents and there's nothing on the market, you know, but there's investors that own single family homes in that market for sure. So it'd be pretty hypocritical of me to say you should cap this stuff knowing I own single family home investments. So, I mean, that's. Listen, I, I'm, I'm there with you. I, I'm a believer in an open market, but on the flip side, there's not enough being done to help. I agree. You know, help builders, help developers put this product onto the market. Yeah. And I, I think that the, the challenge here that we see is that the you know, what the government's done, they've gone so far the other way. And, you know, I'm a big believer that the American dream has a lot to do with home ownership. Um, I don't know that we're, we're really getting that now. We were talking about a nation of renters on our call this morning because it's such a big issue and it's affecting obviously businesses, but also people's lives. So, it, it, I mean, it's it's a tough call. And, and, you know, if someone came out and said, hey, I'm going to put a, I mean, you're going to have to do this at the local level. I don't think you can do it at a national level. It's going to have to be locally for sure. And some of these townships that you deal with or local governments, we, we have townships here. We don't have cities. They have pretty strict development regulations as it is. Like you can only build on two acre lots or, or things like that. So it's going to have to happen at the local level. You guys have townships because Pennsylvania, you know, is still uh, thinking we're in the pilgrim days. We're, we're a Quaker state, my friend. So, uh, you know, I'm going to yeah, I'm eating I, my, my uh, Quaker oatmeal every day here. Did you watch our president's State of the Union address this week? Did you, did you watch? No, I, 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 I don't watch any president's State of the Union. I, I can watch the highlights and hear what happened afterwards. I watched them all. So I'll break it down for you. He went on for over an hour. 
And he never mentioned housing once, which makes up 17% of the GDP. He talked job market extensively. And, uh, you know, he was really proud about, about the job market, but never talked about housing. You know, he, he mentioned at one point affordable housing, but it was like tied to the homelessness issue. It wasn't tied to like the everyday median earner in America being able to actually find a home. That affordability study that just came out this week shows you that only 38% of the homes sold in quarter four uh, were affordable. Basically, you know, for people with the median income in this country, and we can pull up the exact stat. I had it here in front of me earlier. Um, here it is. So thir- this is according to NAHB as well. 38.1% of new and existing homes sold between the beginning of October and end of December were affordable to families earning the U.S. median income of $90,000. Uh, this marks the third straight quarterly record for low housing affordability since the Great Recession, trailing the previous marks of 42% in both the second and the third quarter. And that wasn't addressed. It was like, hey, we need affordable home for homeless people. Well, homeless people can't afford anything. That's a whole different, that's a mental health issue. That's a well, whole, those, those are facilities category and like, you got medical housing coverage shit. there. I mean, that, that, yeah, that, I, I could not agree with you more on that. It's totally different. I'm looking at this family here, the U.S. median income for families making $90,000. That's good money. Like, hey, we're out there. We're working, you know, probably 80 plus hours a week to make this $90,000. We're, you know, probably out of the home, in the home, working, you know, working our butts off. And only 38% of new and existing homes in quarter four were affordable for those families. That's the lowest mark sense uh in years there's a there's actually a chart we can show um where if you go all the way back to quarter one of 2016 this is by far the lowest mark according to this nahb wells fargo opportunity index. well I, I i do like uh, the idea of, of of some sort of regulation i mean um they had a nar had a meeting and i mean nar has not not been great to say the least but they uh they had a meeting where uh, back in November where they talked about a range of potential inventory solutions, such as broader down payment assistance on the local, state and federal levels. If they're going to assist homeless people, I mean, I think you should probably assist the people that are actually contributing to the economy and are taxpayers um, and uh, special purpose credit programs to better meet the credit standards. But the, the problem is this is all about buyers, right? We need seller incentives. That is the biggest. I mean, what about a tax break if you sell your home? Right. I mean, there's some folks. You look at the capital gains tax. Well, if your gains higher than five hundred thousand, and think about where a lot of people—it's all these move-up buyers, right? The move-up buyers want to move, and there's no inventory there because those people have a three or a four handle. What if there's a, a, a like a tax savings or an elimination of capital gains tax? I mean, that number of five hundred thousand dollars—that was set in nineteen ninety-seven. Okay, has has there been inflation since nineteen ninety-seven, Byron? Absolutely. That's all they talk about. So what about changing those limits? I see that as a much more viable option to incentivize sellers because it's all all they're talking about is buyers here. And NAR, again, is missing the mark. I like a tax incentive for home sellers to sell and downsize. I think that would be a great way to unloosen this up a little bit because someone's in an $800,000 home. Let's say they've been there 30 years. They probably bought it for what? Maybe two fifty. So their gains already eliminated. They get whacked with the capital gains on whatever's left. It, that would be a program that would actually do something here that might loosen up inventory. Yeah. But the $800,000 home, Tom, is, isn't going to help 
a lot of people that are looking at that median price point. Well, I, I, I absolutely agree with people with where in you're the going. medium houses and move up because they can't move up either. Move up and then, and open then that up. And yes. then free up. Agreed. Yeah, I, I got you there. The share of young adults between 25 and 34, and this is on uh, on BAM, uh, it, right now, share of young adults between 25 and 34 living at home is 15.6%. <laughs> it's down from 17.8% actually, you know, at the start of the pandemic. But that shows you how much pent up demand for those starter homes yep. that there is, because there is a, a large percent, I, I would say just based off of history, there's probably a third of that 15% uh, percent that want to go out and buy a home because historically from 1960, 1960 to 1980, we were below 10% on that number. Uh, 1980 to about uh, 2006, you know, when the market crashed, 2006, 2007, when the market crashed, we were, we were just about 10%, a little bit over 10% in the 90s, closer to maybe 12, 13%. But between 10 and 12 percent, that entire time period, and then obviously from 08 until the pandemic, we went all we just on a straight line up to almost 18 percent of young adults living at home now, almost 16 percent. So we've come down recently uh, the last couple of years. But there's a third of them just based off of history that want to go buy a starter home, but there's nothing available for them to do it. So they're more incentivized to stay in the basement. Got it. Yeah, I mean, it's well, and. Yeah, you know, because they form households so much later, right? Like, I mean, most people aren't going to move in to the to the basement with their husband or wife if they get, but but people aren't getting are getting married later. Um, you know, I, I look back at remember in um in two thousand eight when Obama came out with that buyer incentive, right? And it was like the eight thousand dollars of like tax credit to buy a home if you were a first time buyer. Yep, something like that. I mean, even if they just gave an incentive for people, and it has, it's got to be more than eight grand, obviously. The, 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 but. To your point, they always put the incentive on yeah, the buyer. Yeah, it's got to be something and, else. And I'm I talking like, about the seller side. It's got to be something on the seller side to free up the inventory now. Then they can't, they, you know, there's, um, Greg was talking about uh, the incentive of like getting down payments down to zero. Great, but you're just creating more bidding wars and they're getting beat out by cash. Mm -hmm. You know, so the administration put out, you know, making it easier for people to really reduce their down payment, which is theoretically helping affordability but they just lose those offers and they end up losing the savings by going over ask because they're competing against cash and somebody dropping inspections. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a chat and a lot of, you know, what's happening is a lot of these folks are tapping into their parents' wealth or something else, or they're tapping into the equity line on their current home just to come across as a cash offer and you don't have to deal with it. And I mean, it's going to be a tough couple of years here. I mean, if you don't know how to attract listings or find these listings or go out and list properties, I mean, you're, and just for the consumer, especially, I mean, it, it, I, I hope you like where you live right now because I don't see this changing anytime soon. And th this is a major issue. I hope where you like living right now. Wow. That is a, a uh, shot of confidence there from Tom tool for, for all of these young Americans in the basement right now, these 15.6%. Well, I hope you like the basement. But I mean, I, I'm, I'm saying it because I think it's, you know, I mean, what, what other option is there? I mean, construction, do you have a lot of new construction in Connecticut? Because we certainly don't have a lot here. We see some some, no. some areas in the city getting developed. I mean, we can't produce this. And that's why you look at the, the rural housing markets and they're dropping. We've always seen when you go west, there's more inventory. That's always been the case here because we're right outside the city. So I, 
I don't know what the solution is here. I mean, the, the, you know, the, they put so much cash I, in the system in 2020 that we're, we're, we're paying for it right now in the housing market. I think it's important to point out, too, because we've been talking about this year over year inventory number. That's not what you want to look at. And we're looking at this pre-pandemic and, uh, you know, 2019 and now. But it's also important for us to point out, and this was in Housing Wire's uh, market tracker this week, that Logan Motoshami writes every single week, housing inventory decreased 8,664 units yep. uh, just in the prior week, which is a more extensive inventory decline than we saw the prior week at a time uh, of year when we would expect inventory to start going up, those spring sellers coming onto the market. We've had, you know, in the Northeast, it's been historically warm. You know, there hasn't been you know, a lot of weather issues in most markets holding people back. I know Texas, it's been very cold lately, but, you know, that cold weather hasn't, it wouldn't stop people from listing their homes. So we're seeing just in the last seven days inventory decline as well. So there's not any indication that this spring market is going to be, you know, more advantageous for the home buyer in the median price point than 2022 was. And when my fear is that when the Fed sees that and sees that, you know, a consistency in, you know, over ask or bidding wars that could take place over the next 60 days, that they get even more aggressive. And we see an interest rate that goes back up over seven. We're not that far off from 7%. We're, we're a lot closer to 7% 30 year fixed than we are five and a half percent, which is where some of the projections are saying we're going to end up this year. I mean, I am worried about the Fed for, for that very reason. Now, uh, Logan uh, Motoshami in his uh, housing tracking market that he, or his housing tracker he puts out every Monday, he's expecting inventory to start climbing in earnest this month, uh, peaking in late summer and ending with fewer than se just under 700,000 homes on the market. So right now we're at 465. So that's a step in the right direction. But these people that are expecting inventory to double and triple, it's just not going to happen. And I mean, it, it's that's it's still going to be tight. And for the, for the consumers that are out there wanting to move, you know, this waiting for the spring, you've got to be scouring the market. You've got to be looking constantly. And I'm seeing I've seen more and more off market deals than I've ever seen before the past three years where people are. I mean, these buyers are just coming in. And if you look at the, the bright housing data that comes out, they have an off MLS report each year. So in 2021, the average was a little over 17% less than what you'd get if you listed your home on the MLS is what the, the off MLS study showed. This year in 2022, it was down to 13%. So, I mean, that's a pretty, that, that shows you buyers wow. are coming in and saying, well, this is an opportunity. I'm not going to mess around with this because I want a house and I'm, 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 I'm going to be a little more aggressive in my offer. And there's still obviously money to be made for sellers going to the open market. Some sellers just don't want to deal with it. They're worried about timing. They're worried about process. They're worried about getting their home ready for the market and having people come through and tour it. And we had 70 plus tours over the weekend at a $500,000 single family home in three days. I mean, 70, can you imagine 70 people coming through your place in Naples right now, Byron? Uh, no, <laughs> no, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine that. I can barely imagine my parents stopping by or the, or the mother-in-law, you know, and, and that happens all the time. That that's more than enough for me. That it's interesting. We did a little mastermind yesterday and that's the number one reason people don't want to list is just, I don't want people coming through my home. I'd rather just stay put than dealing with that process. And, and how, you know, how would an agent right now or a broker or a team 
make that an easier process for a seller to wrap their mind around with, you know, 70 people coming through my home, you know, is there a solution for home sellers that don't want that much foot traffic? So, I, I mean, I've sold homes virtually after the pandemic. Um, I mean, there was, and I think it depends on the type of house, right? Like a, like a townhome that's a newer build, you kind of know what you're getting in, in some of these neighborhoods. Um, there are people that buy homes sight unseen. We just had a listing sell this morning and I have realtors blowing up our phone right now because someone had seen it the last time it came for sale seven years ago and they didn't want to miss out again. They literally made a sight unseen offer, which is something you can wow. do. Uh, I mean, that's totally legal. It follows all the clear cooperation rules that NAR made up. And the, the, the I, I do see something where, I mean, the way videos expanded, I mean, I, did, so you guys recently relocated to Naples, right? That's a market where a lot of people buy sight unseen. Uh, it is. So in right. and, and vacation markets, that happens a lot. So well, depending on the property, I mean, you know, you, you get a really nice floor plan I, done. I think the floor plan is a key component here because you can never really like see with the video and the photos like Matterport, that sort of stuff. But it does happen more than you think. The place we have now that we bought in, in 2020, I didn't buy it sight unseen, but I had never been in that particular community. And the first time I went into that community, I was willing, uh, you know, if I didn't get the deal that I got, I was willing to down the road buy sight unseen because I had gotten into basically all of the floor plans. You know, there's just a number of, of uh, particular floor plans in this community of, you know, call it 400 plus homes. And had I not gotten the negotiation to go the direction that I wanted it to go to and ultimately get the deal, I was willing to put offers in sight unseen because even if it's a little bit more grimier than the next unit, then I'll just come in there and, uh, you know, blow it out or clean it or, you know, repaint whatever I've got to do. Right. It was, it was about the location for me. Mm -hmm. I'm always a, a location buyer now. And, uh, and certainly the floor plan did it did it match our needs. So, so you were recently at our home. We have a single family home. Um, I would have I would see I that bought that site. Your house, we made an, we were going to do well, that. Um, we drove by it. You're you're you have such a big house because you're fancy that that could have been a that could be a little bit more of a difficult well, site. I agree. Um, we were going to do it though um, because we knew the neighborhood right, and I think it, it, yeah. and the location is it kept our kids in the same school. Super valuable. They did a floor plan for the home. Um, the realtor who had it listed did a horrible job with photos. Um, I was able to see past a lot of that stuff. Um, and I think that's obviously that helps with the experience. I don't want to say that everyone can do that. The floor plan made a big difference. And, the, the you know, driving by the home and checking out the location, to your point, once you got inside, if you look at the aerial photos, it looked like it was on a really funky lot. And in fact, it's a, it's a rather large lot. It was just bad photography. But we, we were ready to do that because we knew what was out there and, and knew the market. So, you know, driving by a home, I mean, would, would, would end a lot of these issues for people. But I mean, some people just aren't going to do it. I mean, it's a big investment. It, the home was built in the 1940s. So there's obviously some construction issues that can come up. I think my experience helped with that. I mean, uh, but if you really want the house, sometimes that's what you got to do. And I mean, that, that's always been my view of it. There was this belief in prop tech the last, you know, number of years where it's like, hey, people are going to you know, use some type of creative financing to go buy their house, then we'll, you know, get them moved out, we'll list their current home. And, you know, they won't have to worry about all of the showings, you know, which makes sense in theory. The problem is, you know, what we've spent 
this entire pod talking about is that there's no inventory for them to go buy and get out of their house. So that, that really didn't work. Listen, if I'm an agent or a consultant or a broker in any particular community, it's going to be a really smart idea to start to get connected with the local decision makers, the politicians, uh, you know, if you're in a township uh, like the Pilgrims in Pennsylvania, or if you're in, you know, any particular county or city in America, Tom, Tom didn't hear did that hear shot, I guess, that I, uh, he, did, he did hear the shot. Uh, if, you know, wherever you're located across the country, I'd start to create relationships. You're not going to solve the problem in 2023, but if you could make an impact on some policy decisions in your local community to help the builder community, would you not maybe get an abundance of listing opportunities in three years when you know the builders are now able to build affordable housing because you pushed so hard because you overeducated? Uh, would you not, by putting that content out into the market, uh, you know at least start conversations on? Well, hey, uh, I see that you're identifying this as a major problem in our town. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm moving this year. Not going to be able to do anything you know, this isn't going to help me in three years, but you know, what advice could you give me about this year? So you'd open dialogue there. I, I think that in the environment that we're in right now of 2023, where everybody's super divided, people have stopped talking to their local leaders, to their local politicians and smart business people should be creating those relationships, digging in deep with the policy makers and and the politicians in their area to actually create those relationships and make change, not taking, you know, stay purple with it, but go and help make the change, be the relationship uh, that helps bring the data to your local town. That's why I'm wearing my purple shirt today, Byron, for, for that exact reason. Yeah, I thought, well, you, you texted me earlier. And, it, it, it's uh, very, it's very off brand for me to wear a t-shirt. So uh, I was, uh, I was not going to wear the Eagle. No, shirt. I was thinking about it, but it you didn't, wasn't, I don't know. It didn't feel right. I, I, I got my uniform. You said, you said, uh, you care for, oh, you, I thought you said shirt. I thought you said Jersey. I read it as no, Jersey. I, I don't even, I don't have a Jersey. So that's, uh, I was gonna, I was gonna, and that's why I said yes in the text. Yeah. Wear your Eagles Jersey. So I could say, what are you a 12 no, year old Tom tool one. wearing an NFL no, Jersey? I'm, I'm, I'm clearly not built for the NFL. I'd probably have to get the 12 year old size Jersey to fit into it. You mentioned this. There's something interesting going on here in Philadelphia. So are you familiar with the condo king, Alan Dom? Uh, he's he's a no. real estate. Uh, he owns a, Alan, Dom, Alan Dom, the dominator? Yeah, uh, D-O-M-B. Okay, you can make fun of this guy all you want. Um, no, no, he no. He is running. Just, that's an entourage oh, reference, the dominator. Yes, uh, yeah, okay. Um, so Alan Dom is running for mayor of Philadelphia. Um, he okay. was – he he changed the real estate landscape in the city. And, you know, that's the kind of local leader you want. Um, and, and I find it very fascinating. I, I see, I see what he's doing. And someone like that gets housing affordability. He sold all the condos in, in Rittenhouse square. They called him the condo King back in the eighties, nineties and two thousands. And when business leaders get involved in politics, I find that to be a great thing for any community. So I do agree. I mean, you know, uh, this, Alan probably doesn't even know who I am. I, I reached out to him, tried to get him on the radio show, no, radio silence. But uh, he, like someone like that is going to understand this issue better than anybody else. And if you can start to see housing come up and fill it, I think that, that could have a real great effect on the local community here because he gets the real estate side. He gets the business side. And, and when you mentioned like prop tech, like these people that come from outside the industries, 
they come in with these ideas and they don't really get the ins and outs of any industry. And I, I'm, I'm clear that this could be a big win for our local market from a housing affordability standpoint, just understanding housing in general, um, if he's able to win, win election. Yeah, he says on his website, he's a proven problem solver. Allen is running for mayor because he understands that Philadelphia's in crisis. Well, look up blah, Dom blah, blah, Real blah, Estate. Blah. That's what you really want to check it, out. I mean, that, then you get to, his company's still functioning. He stepped out. He puts in here an affordable housing crisis right at the top, yep. his first sentence in. So um, I can't believe he blew you off and wouldn't come on, on probably, your local radio show. saw me hanging out with you, and that, and that was the end of it. That, hey, Dominator, take Tom Tool's call. Uh, if you want any chance of winning for Mary, what's his chances of winning? You know, it's in blue Philadelphia. Well, he's running under the right party because they never elect anybody else. So um, he's oh, he's well, running. So as he a was Democrat? on city council, and I believe he was non-declared for city council when he was on there. And then, and I mean, look, unfortunately, you got to play the game in some of these places. Um, I, I'm less concerned about that. I like that he's talking about affordable housing, and that's what we're talking about here. So. Yeah, no, I, I'm just curious because I, I was going to say if he was, uh, you know, if you were trying to red pill everybody here, Tom. No, I'm not. He's, 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 say he's got no yeah, shot. He's not, I mean, he's not. So uh, let's see if he was. I, I believe he was neutral when he was on city council. Um, Pur- purple pill, Tom. Tool. I like purple, right? Everyone wants to meet in the middle. That, what's that song? Meet me in the middle. Absolutely. Can we play that out here. Do we have the rights for that? So uh, I don't think we do. No, no, we don't have the rights for anything on knowledge brokers okay, not yet, yet, but we. Oh, so he, he's a registered soon... independent when he won, uh, when he uh, when, when, when he came on um, to city council and now he's running as a Democrat. So they have at large seats in Philadelphia. So you don't have to be you can any any um, it, it's not it's not party based. All right, well, let's wrap this thing up, Tom. I, I got to go. I know you got to go. This this is a good pod. I think this is a discussion that. We're going to keep I'd having love this. To have, yeah, this is going on. This is not a, a one, one. I don't know if it's if it's the dominator or somebody else, but I'd love to have some some politician join us and talk about, you know, loosening up the regulations on builders to build single family or affordable condo projects. You know, the best way for them to get, you know, affordable housing into an area is to go, you know, multi-level up condos. Um, you know, to me, I, I, I'd love to see somebody make some decisions that make sense in some communities that others can model after, and maybe we can get some of those to come join us on knowledge brokers pod, Tom, before we go, what's your prediction for the super bowl this weekend? Take the Eagles. That, that's my prediction. Say what's the, what's so it's the one line? and a half points. Um, he, here's my observation of this. Um, uh, Tom's a big, big Philadelphia fan. If you haven't yes, figured that well, out, I, I live here. That's how it goes. Uh, here's here's my prediction: the Chiefs will be tough. This is probably the, this is the hardest game both teams have played all year. The Chiefs have an excellent offense. So do the Philadelphia Eagles. The Chiefs, the Eagles' defense far superior. So if they can get to Patrick Mahomes, I'm giving a, all the betters out there. Hassan Reddick, defensive end. You want the Temple University? He's your Super Bowl MVP. All the 49ers oh, fans boy. that were complaining, oh, we didn't have a quarterback. Hassan Reddick knocked both of them out of the game, if you recall. When we were at my, he, he literally just ended take, them. Take take the points. Take Kansas City. Nah. Uh, Kansas City's Kansas City's got the Super Bowl. Rihanna's got the. If you're if you're trusting Andy Reid to win in a big game, I've seen this myself many times. I mean, it's not a, a you know he's he's one and two in the Super Bowls. I think he's what. Uh, 
like two and two and seven in championship games. So I don't know. I like uh, I like Meek Mill and Dreams and Nightmares Chain around Nick Sirianni, and we're gonna we're gonna win it. Andy Reid's your guy. Take take the Chiefs, and if you want to take your business up to the next level, uh, there's a link below with a discount code BAM twenty three, where you actually get uh, your your initiation fee on VirtuDesk VAs uh, cut in over half. So uh, VA, uh, virtue desk, v virtual assistants. If you want to up your business, like Tom and I have, uh, go check out that discount code below virtue desk. Now supporting the knowledge brokers pod, dropping some knowledge here for all you guys. You can go get a big discount on the virtue desk link below Tom. I'll see you. I'll see you here next week. I'm back. Good luck. Good luck. This uh, you know, weekend, I'm not right? playing. I don't need luck. I need luck in my business right now and navigating this inventory crisis. And that's what you should be focusing on if you're a real estate agent. Get the knowledge.